Harcourt Valley Vineyards is now bringing their award-winning wines, ginger beer and raspberry mead to your door, offering free delivery in central Victoria and Melbourne. Their lockdown wine box special includes a combination of Riesling, Grenache Rosé, Barb Shiraz, Cab Sav and Mount Camel Shiraz. Check out their Facebook page or Instagram for details or visit harcourtvalley.com.au. Harcourt Valley Vineyards is a full-bodied sponsor of Main FM. Knocked on your door. The Quiet Carriage, 94.9 Main FM show all about books and authors, with your host, Paul J. Laverty, and proudly sponsored by Stoneman's Book Crew. All aboard. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to another edition, the Easter edition of The Quiet Carriage. Thank you for taking the time out to join me today. I hope you're all keeping well. I hope you're all dealing with isolation, okay? And I hope you're all still washing your hands. Despite isolation, there's still quite a bit going on in the book world that I want to talk to you about. Kirsten Krauth, uh, she's a local author. She's got her book out, Almost a Mirror, out now via Transit Lounge. I'm going to try and get her on in the studio um, over the next few weeks. She has set up a Facebook page called Writer Go Forth, full stop, launch, full stop, promote, party. That's Writer Go Forth, launch, promote, party. And this is a substitute for book launches. So if you go onto the Facebook page, you can see readings, there's interviews, there's all sorts about what's um, coming out in the book world and that like I said is a substitute for book launches which unfortunately we can't have at the moment. I also received an email from Penguin the publisher and this weekend is the Penguin Long Weekend Literary Festival and that's free and that's online at penguin.com.au just follow the links and they have readings and interviews this weekend from authors such as Tom Keneally, Nicole Alexander, Catherine Scholes, Minnie Dark, and author Liam Piper, who you remember we had on last week discussing his book, Sweetness and Light. So, yeah, jump on penguin.com.au for the Penguin Long Weekend Literary Festival. And as I mentioned, writer, go forth, launch, promote, party. That's uh, run by local author Kirsten Krauth. Let's get on to the episode, shall we? Um, Later in the studio, it's one of my favorite segments, the TQC Book Club. And on the line, I'll have actor Geraldine Hakewell. She's a face you would definitely know. Um, Her most famous role is probably playing Peregrine Fisher in Miss Fisher's Modern Murder Mysteries, which is on the ABC. And we are going to discuss Sally Rooney's Normal People today. First up, it's time for Northern Books, Books at the Brewery series, recorded live at the Tap Room right here in Castlemaine. And this is sadly the last recording we'll play of them until public gatherings are allowed again, which will be hopefully soon. 
This one was recorded last month and featured someone who is a local literary legend around these parts, Carmel Bird, who I'm sure we all know. I've had her in uh, to do a few readings on the show before. Her book, Field of Poppies, is out now via Transit Lounge. And here she is at the tap room talking about and reading from that book as part of the Northern Books, Books at the Brewery series. I hope you enjoy it. Um, I hesitate to read the whole preface because it's long and weird and rather ghastly, but I'll give you a taste of it in a minute. So this is a complex little novel. Some of it's very dark, some of it's quite funny. Um, when I've read you a little bit of the preface, I'm going to read you uh, some, of, some of the narrative, which is dark but quite, quite funny, I think. So I'll read you a bit of the preface. starts off, Life goes on in the sweet rural Antipodean haven of Muckleton. Life, with all its ups and downs, its ins and its outs, its highways and byways, life goes on. However, once upon a time the glassy ice melted and the creeping quiet glossy waters crept up to inundate the land. High cliffs, tall towers, soaring cathedrals and fabulous fun fairs disappeared beneath the shimmer of the surface of the sea. Plague, pestilence, wild winds, weird wars, fires flashed and flared, rushing on for 77 long years, uphill, down dale, time out of mind. Tripping aircraft tumbled from the clouds, descending into faraway fields where the faces of smiling sunflowers turned this way and that to receive them in chrome yellow petal fingers. Sailing ships sank sadly in mystery and slow bewilderment. Crops failed, dried out, withered, died. Hurricanes, volcanoes, earthquakes, kleptocrats, meteors. The spinning eyes of crazed tyrants in bright bonnets. Floods, naturally there were floods. Shoals of shiny fish falling from the sky. Drugs in sports, sex, sleep. Deep, deep dishonesty found in the lockers of the gods upon Mount Olympus. Acid rain, famine, droughts, chemical weapons of war. Child slaves labouring in darkness to create charming pinafores, amusing socks and little boots for chubby children in glass houses. Children armed with the most advanced types of rifles rampaged through the schools, splattering students with bright blots of blood and shards of splintered bone. Clouds of insects carrying black and blue diseases swept across the planet Earth. Okay. <laughs> I won't worry you with that. The, the narrative um, tells you those things too, but not, not like that. So the next bit is lighter, although it does start um, at a funeral, but, but that can be quite light. And it goes uh, downhill from the funeral, but bear with me, okay. A character cook from Melbourne called Tonto is going to his Uncle Doug's funeral in Malden. Toto's girlfriend, Saffron, has stayed at home in Melbourne. At the church in Malden, there's a woman rector in sombre flowing robes, black and purple and smoky silver. People give several respectful and tearful orations. Doug's hoped all his life. Grew the best pumpkins in the district. Was overly fond of a Mars bar. Followed Carlton, followed the horses. Finished every night with a drain. Fancy flowers, 
old folk with walking sticks, young couples with children, a dog, no, three dogs. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Most people went out to the cemetery, Tonto went. A slow procession of sorrowful vehicles following the eerie silver hearse that was stuffed with flowers, all the colours of over the rainbow and then sun. The open grave awaited, surrounded by tired old green carpet. The prayers were brief, ashes to ashes and dust to dust, clods of clay and single blooms, red, white, long stem, fell ritually onto the coffin as it lay exposed to the earth. Afterwards, back at the parish hall, there were sandwiches and cakes on pale yellow plates with fancy white paper doilies, the tinkle of teaspoons, the chitter of chatter, the sudden barking of the dogs, tears and laughter, small china vases of delicate flowers and ferns all down the tables in a straight line. Somebody played the mouth organ. A child fell out of a tree and had to be taken to hospital. Ladies of the parish, polished with fuchsia lipstick, wearing floral aprons, pouring tea from large aluminium teapots. Milk, two sugars. The teaspoons are on the other table. Melanie seems to have lost her handbag. Silver with blue bills. It's over there, under the chair. No grog. Scones with blackberry jam, incredibly delicious scones, light as air, gold as honey, and white as snow. Lamingtons, Anzacs, ginger snaps, ginger sponge, dishes of fantails, which were Doug's favourites after the dreaded Mars bars. It was the past resurrected into a new life with the old timber walls of the parish hall, all in honour of Uncle Doug, one god world without end. After all that, Tonto, feeling a bit overfed on cake and biscuits, went down to the pub. It was called the kangaroo, as you know. Anyway, um, and so, and with his other uncles and his cousins, he had a beer, just one friendly beer, in the kangaroo, and then he got into his black Santa Fe and drove off into the dying light, twilight. He wasn't even over the limit. An odd thing was that he was driving quite carefully and slowly when a police car, siren wailing, lights flashing, pulled him over for being too slow. That's right, too slow. Inconveniently under the stadium, too slow. A menace to other motorists and road users. A giant raging road user in the form of a great gleaming Mack truck decorated with lights like a fairground loomed up monstrously out of the dust, travelling just over the stadium. It disturbed the air and it was gone. You know how they are. The muscular policewoman who fronted up to Tonto's window said, What do you think you're doing? Oh, ah, kicking under the stadium, yes. You're supposed to do raging around here. Any reason why you're going so slow? Any reason for that? She breathalyzed him, and sure enough, he was under the stadium at two. Sorry, he was under that limit too. Tonto sensed the irritation in her as she tossed the clear plastic tube into a white and yellow plastic box that reminded him somehow of a duck. He began to laugh. The policewoman stared at him, hostile, her eyes dull brown pebbles in the gloom, her mouth a grim line, like the pursed lips of a poisonous reptile. All the sugar in the cakes, the biscuits, the glass of beer had gone to Tonto's head, and he started to laugh. <coughs> What's so funny? Nothing, no, nothing, no, nothing funny. Silence. He wriggled in his seat, peering up at the woman, who continued to stare him down. Were they trained to do that, or did it just come naturally? 
You need to follow the speed limit on this road. You need to do 80. You're holding us up, wasting our time. Oh, oh, sorry. It was then she pushed her face into his open window and shouted, We're on our way to Shinaroo! Oh, he shrugged back. And what he heard her say was, We're on our way to Shinaroo! You. His head jerked back in shock and the policewoman added, It's injured. The roo's seriously injured. We have to shoot it. On your way. Get on your way. She turned in a kind of swift anger, got into the squad car, and they took off with a roar, speeding into the deep blue twilight. Speed was their thing. Twilight. They were hastening on their way to shoot a roo. Tonto sat there, shaken and bewildered, by the side of the road for a long, quiet five minutes. He thought of turning round to return to the pub, where he knew the others would still be. He couldn't face driving to Melbourne that night. He sent his girlfriend, Saffron, a text. It said, might stay over in Motel Castle Lane. He attached a burst of dark red love hearts that would float in great numbers across Saffron's screen. She sent back an okay with a burst of pink flowers. Then she played back the red heart several times. Tonto turned the car around and headed for Castle Main, taking care to reach the speed limit. Yes, he was doing that texting while he drove. On a hill, on a bend, between tall, mysterious forests on either side, the kangaroo came bounding onto the tarmac, just as the rider on a Harley FX STB night train was roaring up in the opposite direction heading for Malton. In one of those fatal split twilight seconds, the three of them, Tonto, Ryder, Rue, emerged with a great splintering blast, perfect CGI. And quite soon, they were all dead, lying at odd angles in a sizzling, steaming mess. Acute hemorrhage leading to hypovolemic shock. Terrifying, monstrous, otherworldly. Blood, fuel, water, glass, metal, guts, brains, bone, teeth. The extra high ape hangers of the Harley lying like the antennae of a prehistoric insect on the road. Two smashed up phones glittering beside each other in the weeds in the gutter next to the road. A Samsung and an iPhone. The rider's shiny black bell-staff endurance boots. One paisley cravat, pathetic, bloody. Everything still except for some intermittent twitching and convulsing in the body of the kangaroo. Jesus. The plumber driving his silvery Isuzu D-Max ute on his way home to Melbourne whispered, Jesus, and pulled over. The scene of the accident blocked the road, the plumber called emergency. It seemed to him as the darkness fell and traffic piled up in either direction that time slowed down. Attempting to direct traffic, he waited for the police, the ambulance, the tow trucks. Two other motorists assisted him as he stopped traffic until it became clear to the drivers coming and going that they had to stop anyhow. Some kind of Armageddon was going on at the bend in the road. There was no way around this crash site, and yes, time had slowed down. One of the officers held a pistol to the head of the roof, a mercy shot, thud. This was at least the second kangaroo to be finally dispatched that night. 
by a trusty, efficient member of the police force. You'll be all right, mate, said the police officer to the plumber. I'll be okay. The officer recorded the plumber's details, name, address, phone, driving license, vehicle license plates, next to him. Breathalyzed him. Playing it easy, mate. Yeah. No. No. The traffic gradually cleared. Finally, the pilot drove on home to his wife and children, his next of kin in Malden, quite slowly. Night had fallen. The dark forest held its breath. My sandpaper side engraves a line into the rust of your tongue. Girl, I could have been someone to you, would have painted the skies blue, baby. You swim my way, girl, I've got no chance And nothing to say Girl, but stay here for a little while
That was King Cruel with Baby Blue. And now we'll return to author Carmel Bird's appearance at Books at the Brewery. Oh, I, I thought maybe I might read you from the, from the beginning of the narrative. I read to you from the beginning of the preface, which was that weird stuff. But um, after the, the preface ends, in all its weirdness... Why you have created the preface and then the story? Yeah, sure. Um, because it is a, a kind of end times novel, and I wanted to uh, tell a kind of ordinary story. It is an ordinary story about a couple in their 60s who, their second marriage for both of them, and they are looking for uh, retirement in the country. He's, he's a, a semi-retired GP and she's a retired interior designer. And so they find a beautiful house. You know the feeling. They find this beautiful house they fall in love with in the town of Muckleton. And they bring all their lovely antiques and their lifestyle to the place. And it goes it goes well for a few years, but then, as I said at the beginning of my talk, it goes downhill uh, when, first of all, they are robbed, and then the woman up the street is murdered. And the novel deals with the unravelling of that murder. You, you, it, it's not a it's not a, a detective novel. It's not a, a genre novel in that way. But the plot. Uh, does ultimately tell you how she died and who did it and what happened next. Yeah. So there is a big crime section in the middle of it, but then there's a lot of very um, pleasant stuff that goes on in the village as well, because as, as I said at the beginning, life does go on. But I wanted to set it in the reality of the world. And as you know, the reality of the world is, well, fires and floods and wars and plague and bird and pestilence. Yeah. yeah. But I'll, read, I'll start at the beginning of the narrative, which you see is quite um, pleasant and soft. It starts out, there's no place like home. This is the account of some of the things that happened when tree changes, William and I lived in Muckleton, Victoria. The soul of the place for us was our house, called Liskell. When I first saw it, my heart leapt, for reasons I will later explain. And at the heart of the house, as I tell the story, is my heart. It's fairly obvious what sent us from the city to the country, but I want to explain why we left Muckleton and went back to live in Melbourne. Why would we do that? People do ask. William once said, when I really pay attention to what you're saying, darling, I end up somewhere where I never expected to be. <laughs> How so, I said. Well, it's a bit like that Ouroboros thing, you know, because then you bring me back to where I thought I was meant to be. <laughs> that makes no sense to me. Like the serpent that swallowed its own tail. One bit of the story turns into a kind of allegory for another story, and then another one, and so on. And it all winds back on itself, but I do love you. I should hope so. Serpent? Well, maybe I didn't get that quite right about the serpent. I love it when you get it wrong, William. 
William is tall and lithe. He has a squarish face with a neat beard that used to be black but is now grey. Curly hair also grey that shows no sign of disappearing. His father had what was often described as a shock of white hair. Crooked grey eyebrows, nice grey eyes with dark girlish lashes. A lovely smile, big funny ears and a really loud embarrassing laugh. He runs to keep fit and he gets quite a tan in the summer. Like many people who live in Muckleton, I think we went there in search of peace, hoping and believing in the beauty of the landscape, rivers, mountains, trees, fields, wildness, the animals, the birds, the native plants, butterflies, the stars in the night sky. These would nourish us, our hearts and minds, our souls. We went in the hope of partaking in, even contributing to the apparent joy of the place. In our rural haven, we would be removed from protected from the troubles of the world. Then there was our beautiful house, named after a small town in County Kerry, 20 minutes from Tralee. By the way, the town of, Lis of, of Lisdale has the oldest writers' festival in Ireland. I plan to go there for the festival one day. I love reading. Naturally, I joined a reading group in Muckleton. We were there, a semi-retired doctor and a more or less retired interior designer at Listowel in Muckleton for seven years, imagining we had moved away from the city of Melbourne to a country town where we might spend the rest of our lives, maybe. We could read all the books we had never had time for. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> we could garden and go for long walks in the forest. In our vision of life in the countryside, there would be a film group, and fresh air, and green politics, and peace, and quiet, and singing in a choir, and reading with a book group. I imagined the book group was going to be very important to me, and so it was. It became central to my social life. As things turned out, we sold Listowel in 2018 and moved to an apartment in Eureka Tower at South Bank. Yeah, I'm glad we found that funny. They're, they're a bit stupid, these people. You know, they didn't realise that. They were cool. um, so, Eureka Town and Town mice abandon country village and return to town. Eureka is the 15th tallest residential building in the world. Imagine. Below it, there are trams and trains and gridlock and petrol fumes and progress and the disturbance of new tunnels, archaeological digs, and maybe some terrorism. Not so many stars in the night sky, mostly no stars at all. Well, you can't have everything, William said. He said it rather sadly. And I remember I squeezed his hand and we both smiled a little bit. On our first night at this doll, we stood out in front of the house and gazed up into the big sky. We couldn't even count the stars that time and they twinkled and glittered and seemed to be very close and very far away all at once. You see, I'm doing that serpent thing he said I'd do, going around in circles. First I think about Muckleton, then I come whooshing back to Melbourne, which is the second largest city in Australia after Sydney. It was founded on land belonging to the Wurundjeri people on August the 30th in 1835 by some British people from Van Diemen's land. I always remember the date precisely, because on that day, in that year, my great-great-great-grandmother was born in Dublin. It was ten years before the beginning of the great... Irish potato famine, which sent my ancestors sailing away to the great Southland of promise and prosperity. To Melbourne, as it happened. So you see, you get you know, little bits of 
history and body yeah okay so now, now does anyone want to ask any questions <laughs>
It was. Yeah, it was. And the one that really stood out was John Steinbeck's East of Eden. Because I've always wanted to read that. I read um, Grapes of Wrath. Loved Grapes of Wrath. Yeah. But I looked at it and it was huge. <laughs> and I've got... It's not a small... It's not it's a small not. book. It's not a slim novel. No, no I, was, I was hoping for some, like, maybe a bit of breakfast at Tiffany's. You know, I could <laughs> I could bash it out That's in an afternoon. One, yeah. No, but, I picked it. I picked a big one, but actually, I had read East of Eden as part of a book club. It was the first oh, right. book that we chose as our book club um, yeah. when I was part of a book club many years ago. And I hadn't read it at school. I hadn't read any of his books before, and it's since become one of my favourite books. Right. But we can talk about it another time. Well, yeah. D- disclaimer here: I'm not opposed to large books. However, running this show, I do have to read a lot, so. Instead of John Steinbeck, what I chose was Sally Rooney, Normal People, which was on your list. Yes. Now, uh, I chose that because it was free on Audible. And I thought (laughs) eight hours of walking around Castlemaine in the autumn sunshine with my one-year-old, that sounds good. So that's what I went for. And also, Sally Rooney, young Irish author, uh, heard a lot about her, and I actually hadn't read her. So um, I think I think you know it's okay not to do John Steinbeck if you're going to do someone that is as talented as Sally Rooney. So that's what I, I went for. Um, I'm very proud I got to introduce her to you as well. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, I've, I've heard of her, but yeah, I just I just didn't get round to round to it. Yeah. So the title is Normal People, and lo and behold, it's about pretty normal people. Um, starting off the book, I was like, this is like a, like an Irish EastEnders or Coronation Street. It, it, it started off a bit kitchen sink drama, but, but after a little while, it really started to sink its teeth into me. So well, I, I guess well, let's maybe discuss a little bit what the book's about. I'm going to stop talking eventually, by the way, and, and you can, you can talk about it because it is your book, but... And jump in whenever you want, but it's set in modern modern day Ireland. Uh, Connor, it is, yeah. Connor and, and Marianne, a, yep. Okay, yes, yes. Um, Connor and Marianne, and it covers about four years, I think. Yes. Their friendship slash relationship, um, starting at the end of their high school years. And yes. Going through their university years. Yes, and they're from County Sligo, so they're known as uh, culties or, or country people. But they have, a, they have an interesting dynamic. It's not the usual boy meets girl because Marianne's fairly wealthy. Connor isn't. Yeah. And Connor's mother works for Marianne's family in a housekeeping capacity. So it's an yeah. interesting sort yeah. of dynamic. And yeah, you're right. It follows through into university when they go to Trinity College. Um, what is the appeal for you with Normal People, the book? Normal People became this book. There's a few books that I've had this experience with, Mm -hmm. and I I think I read it in about 24 hours. (laughs) I just, like, inhaled it. And Mm -hmm. I just think it's this wonderful combination of um, this very, um, very, like, realistic... um, kind of like painful Mm -hmm. um, memory of like my high school years and Mm -hmm. all the kind of like group dynamics and awkwardness when you're navigating relationships at that age Um, and really any age until you kind of meet 
the person that you sort of actually feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but just like the, the horrible kind of painful awkwardness of trying to be a normal person and try and have relationships with people. It was just this great kind of combination of this very relatable sort of um, depiction of that, but also this really amazing wisdom and uh, like way of seeing the world that she has as a writer and like little observations of human behavior that you recognize immediately when you read it but you've never been able to articulate before and, and every page sort of has these surprising little revelations of of human behavior that I just found really fascinating especially as an actor I think you're always mm. looking for that um, you're always trying to find new ways of <laughs> Uh, people interacting and seeing how human beings behave with each other and and she manages to articulate those in a really um, like digestible way that's kind of addictive and you want to keep mm-hmm. reading um, but it also feels quite literary mm-hmm. and I think that's a really difficult balance to strike where you're reading something that like you said can be kind of East Endersy or um, you're soapy, you know, like it's about a relationship between yep. two teenagers, essentially, yep. um, who become young adults and continue their relationships and the kind of ups and downs of that and and how messed up these two people are, but they find this kind of love and commonality between mm. them. Um, but then there's this really kind of wise um like profound way of writing that she has that makes you feel like it's about so much more than that. Yeah. Um, and so I really, really enjoyed it. I think that her <laughs> writing is so simple, isn't it's it? So There's simple. hardly an yeah. adjective in there. Yeah. It's so simple and sparse. It doesn't feel like, like it's so easy to read. It's not complicated at all, but it, but it kind of touches on like feelings inside you that feel complicated. And I mm-hmm. think that's a really special um, gift that she has. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's so realistic and it's so raw. And I didn't know yeah. anything about Sally Rooney going into this, but it didn't surprise me that she is only 27 years of age. So she would have written this, say, a it's couple of years disgusting. before. This could not have been written by someone in their 30s, 40s I don't think you could tell no, that this happened so. recently to her yeah. yeah there's a real um there's a real personal kind of quality to her writing and like you said it's very raw and it feels like it, yeah it feels like it just happened to her and reading it I was immediately transported back to those final years of high school and early years of university and how and how that felt in my body you know like mm-hmm. it's a very kind of visceral experience and there's just some beautiful little observations. Like I, right at the beginning of the book, um, Marianne is in her house and Connell's there and she's standing at the top of the stairs in her bathrobe and they kind of say hi to each other and then she goes back into her room to get changed and his thought process is, I wonder what kind of clothes she's going to put on mm-hmm. because she's going to put on some clothes after she's seen me and I, that's going to inform what she wears and mm-hmm. he was kind of like, hoping to see what she'd come dressed in down the stairs, but then he has to leave before he gets to see her. And I just thought that was such a beautiful little kind of hint of, like, that anticipation you have when you 
like someone but you're not sure how they feel and mm. you're trying to kind of read into every <laughs> every interaction you have and every choice that you make you're trying to kind of take information from it and um yeah just little things like that where you're like oh i've never thought about that but of course we do that yeah <laughs> we do that course. all the time yeah yeah yeah, there's a lot going on beneath the surface yeah. with her with her there's writing. It's also a lot different from an for an Irish novel as well. You know, it's oh, it's really? a. Because I I haven't read many Irish novels to be honest, and I haven't especially contemporary ones. And and I was there. It took me a while to kind of place it in Ireland. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, I think I'm used to reading this kind of writing, maybe from an American voice. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, you know, there's something about it that reminds me a little bit of the TV show Girls or something like that. And, yeah. And uh, that kind of young, like, teenage, romantic, like, raw sexual experience mm-hmm. I sort of expected from an American voice. And mm-hmm. so um, I knew she was Irish, but it kind of took me until halfway mm-hmm. through the book to really kind of place it there and, and hear it in that accent and... Um, I thought that was interesting too that I just hadn't really thought about it being an Irish novel but it it Mm. absolutely is well to me it was very Irish because uh, I listened to it on audiobook so I had an Irish actor so that was pretty at the (laughs) forefront but and I don't know if you 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 might agree with this it could be set anywhere it's not very yeah yeah I mean it could be Australia it could be like you say America it wasn't very yeah, um, stereotypical Irish, which is I, I think no. a lot of the no- a lot of the Irish literature that I've read is it's about yeah you know and about- maybe because she wasn't writing in the dialect either you know yes. sometimes you get a sense of the dialect from the words that are used and there's like a couple of instances where maybe the sentence structure feels like a little bit you can feel the kind of lilt of the accent a little bit yes. but um, but she's not using particularly Irish words aside yes. from the place names and things like that mm. so it could be absolutely fit anywhere yeah. and and the observations she makes about <laughs> about like teenage romance and like the power structure in, in like groups at high school and things mm. like that feel completely universal mm. yeah, yeah could could you see it being a film or TV um and I know that they're actually making it. Oh, right. Uh, I think they maybe have already finished shooting it. But I, mm. yes, I, I totally can. But I, it's also interesting. I wonder how much they're going to be able to get across of, of the, like, inner monologue of the characters. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of observations that they make about each other that they don't speak aloud. Um, and that feels like a really important part of this book is them kind of reading each other between the lines of their conversation mm-hmm. and uh, and then sort of trying to get information about, you know, does he love me? Does he want to stay here? Does he want to be with me? Does she care about me? Does she want to be with someone else? You know, they're, they're not asking these questions directly. They're sort of dancing around them and trying to kind of read the body language and, and the actions. And I, yeah, I wonder how much that detail they'll be able to get across on screen even though you know like so often images kind of can say it much with more simplicity than with words but um yeah i just love (laughs) 
I loved reading all of that so much, but it'll be really interesting to see what it is. And I feel like any adaptation of a book is always, it has to be its own thing. You know, it's a completely different medium. Yeah. And I think you have to kind of treat it as a completely separate thing. It's never going to be the book. Yeah. And nor should it be because the book is its own experience. But, um, but I just loved reading this so much. It'll be really interesting to yeah. <laughs> see who these people look like on screen because you sort of have your own image of them. Yeah. It would like it would be sort of the anti dairy girls, wouldn't it? Yes. It would be a lot yeah. different to that. Yeah. Um, totally. I, I'm I'm always always disappointed when I see my favourite books on screen. I think the only I, one I can think that really pulled it off was was Wake and Fright. Because um, oh, it's yeah. almost exactly like the book. They did it so yeah. well, but I can't yeah. think of very many. I mean, obviously, there's been uh, films that have improved I upon the books, but like. any real I mean, I, classic yeah. books. Yeah. I'm always dis- maybe it's like just me. I'm always disappointed. Like Lord of the Rings, I really love. They but did well. I, yeah, but, yeah, true. that was kind of fantastic. Um, yeah. but it is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> really hard because I think like it's just impossible to satisfy everybody yeah and our imaginations are so much more advanced than any CGI could possibly be yes exactly it's um it's really hard to do that well and and I think like sometimes the best things are like short stories that are turned into feature films and things like that where you actually get a bit more time to breathe with something. I feel like novels can be hard, um, especially turning them into a film rather than a TV show because there's so much detail that gets lost. Um, but, yeah, I, there's a couple of short stories I can think of. Like, um, a director, actress called Sarah Polly made a film called Away From Her, I think. Okay. Um, that was based on, and I, you'll need to back check this, but right. I, it's a short story by, it'll come to me at some point, uh, about a woman who has um, Alzheimer's and mm-hmm. it's about her relationship with her husband and him sort of losing her and she moves into her home and starts a relationship with another man and um, it's about the kind of disintegration of their relationship at the end of their lives okay. it's very beautiful um, and I thought that was a really amazing adaptation of a story but I think you know with a film you have a bit more time to let something Mm-hmm. breathe if it's shorter if it's a poem or it's a yes. short story and when you're trying to kind of adapt a novel into a film I feel like it's never really going to satisfy people because there's always going to be details that they lost yep. um, yeah yeah no, but it's I just agree. such a different form isn't it like a novel you can kind of meander around and mm-hmm. and like sit with an idea for a while whereas in a film or a TV show we have this expectation of things moving forward quite quickly and um, our attention spans are kind of shorter I think with imagery because we kind of um, it's like we can read it much faster we've taken the information quicker and so you sort of want the next thing Um, whereas with a novel because it's like a word at a time you're sort of painting it in your mind maybe Mm -hmm. and you can stick with it a bit longer I don't know I'm making this up (laughs) yeah no 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 I'm following you Uh, as a (laughs) 
as an actor, what what does what do books, what does literature mean for you? Um, I think it's part of why I became an actor, and I don't really mm-hmm. know why, but I've always loved reading more than almost anything else, mm-hmm. and I think um, I think it, what I was just talking about about our imaginations. I think that's such a huge tool as an actor that you have because so often you are, well, always, you're putting yourself in a situation that you haven't been in, or mm-hmm. if you have been in some kind of situation like that, you're playing somebody that you're not, and there's always elements that you've never experienced before in the story, and so you're completely reliant on your imagination for mm-hmm. most of your work, yep. <laughs> and, um, and so I think it's really important for actors to cultivate that mm-hmm. um, it's like a muscle that you have to train and I think reading is a really good way of doing that because you are creating the story in your mind as you yes. go along you're kind of painting it in your mm. mind and um, yeah I found that I think that's always been really helpful for me and I I think uh, reading things that are kind of similar to the work I'm working on or um, situated in a similar world or mm-hmm. have a similar kind of theme that's always useful because you can pick up little details that maybe aren't in the play or the film or the TV show that you're working on and, yep. and maybe bring that in, you know, steal it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think all forms of art can be really helpful, like a painting can be really helpful mm-hmm. when you're creating a role because it can suggest an emotional state or you know, a piece of music can bring on an emotional state if you need to be somewhere for a scene, especially mm. when you're filming and you need to kind of drop into something quite quickly. You know, music can be very helpful, mm-hmm. art can be very helpful. Um, but I do, yeah, I think literature can just kind of expand the mm-hmm. universe of whatever you're working on. And mm-hmm. I find, yeah, I just have always found reading incredibly comforting and, uh, yeah, and just like my favorite kind of escapism, I think, mm-hmm. because it's more active than watching something. Yeah. So, so would you say that you have to be careful what you're reading in the middle of a shoot? I mean, can you read <laughs> stuff that can take you too far yeah. away from the character that you're trying to portray? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Like, I definitely over-identify with anything I'm reading or watching or listening to, like, mm-hmm. I, and I don't know whether that's particular to being an actor and, or being a kind of sensitive person or whether everybody's like that, but I, especially if I really love something, I'll, I feel like I'll sit in that headspace mm-hmm. on, and that kind of feeling, that emotional landscape for a while, like a couple of days after I've finished reading it or watching it, Yes, and so... Yes, I think I do have to be a bit careful because it can be a bit distracting. And I often find that I can't read much while I'm actually filming mm-hmm. something or working on something. I Beforehand and in between jobs, I, I really love doing it. But yeah. I do find it hard when I'm working on something because, I don't know, you always feel like you should be learning your lines instead. Or yeah. <laughs> um, mm. It can be... Yeah, it can be hard to kind of find the time to sit down and really focus on that. But yeah, um, yeah, I do feel like I I over identify maybe more than 
other people. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I'm used to reading scripts and picturing myself in it, mm-hmm. doing it. Um, and so that's what I do when I read as well. Um, even if there's no character that I would play or that's like me, I sort of, yeah, <laughs> I just become part of that world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you write as well? I do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't write. Um, I haven't written, you know, for anything or for anyone else to read. Um, I write music, and that I've shared with people. And I'm writing a film at the moment, mm-hmm. which is based on a book. Um, so I optioned the right for the book, and I'm turning it into a film. Okay. Um, Can you tell us what that is, or is it? Because it's, yeah, it's um, it's a book. Uh, an Australian author, Delia Falconer. It's her novel called um, The Service of Clouds that was written in 1998, okay. mm-hmm. I think. And it's um, it's a historical romance set in the Blue Mountains in the early 1900s. Um, it's sort of like a... I describe it as a bit of a punk Pride and Prejudice. Um, it's a sort of anti-romance. Right. <laughs> uh, it, it's about a woman who... It's her life growing up mm-hmm. in the Blue Mountains through her kind of teenage and early 20s. Um, and she becomes a photographer. And it's her journey of kind of self-discovery of her creative life and Great. also the relationships that she has with people in the town and also these two men in particular. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very beautiful. And that's been a really lovely journey of working out what that is to adapt something and... Mm-hmm. Um, and how hard it is to write something, and um, and also appreciating how how much detail goes into writing a novel, and as you kind of pull it apart to adapt it, you sort of see how it was constructed, and yes, and and how much work went into that, how much research, um, yeah, because it's a historical piece. There's obviously a lot of research about mm. the time period, and. And Delia just did so much and there's so much detail and it's really fantastic to kind of be burrowing through that a bit deeper. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And yeah. what's what's coming up for you this year? Well... In this crazy moment, mixed up all, year. <laughs> we're, all, we're all bunkered down. Um, yeah. But after, after this coronavirus disappears mm-hmm. for a while... Um, I'm halfway through shooting a TV show for the ABC called Wakefield, which is set in a psychiatric facility in the Blue Mountains. Right. There's something about the Blue Mountains that's mm-hmm. obviously <laughs> got a hold over me. Um, it's a contemporary piece set in the present day, and I play um, the psychiatrist in the facility. Um, and so we're halfway through shooting that. So hopefully we'll be able to finish it because it's really amazing writing and great mm-hmm. characters and I think people will really love it. Um, and then uh, there's a couple of other things later in the year, some other TV stuff mm-hmm. that hasn't been announced yet. But um, yeah, I'm just going to keep writing this film now that we've all got some free time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and hopefully write some more music because I haven't done that in a while mm-hmm. and read some more books. Brilliant. Yeah. What else can we do, really? It's, it's what else can a, you do? a good time it's a really to. Really good excuse. Be you can read Eve of Eden. I could, couldn't I? I've got no excuses, no. <laughs> I'm sure I, there's an audio book of it as I, well. Yeah, that's true. There's someone yeah. fantastic reading it, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Geraldine, it's been so good talking to you. We could continue you too, Paul. all day, but unfortunately we'll have to leave it there. Um, okay. Thank you so much for introducing me to, to Sally Rooney. I really did enjoy it. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. Yes. And her, other, her first novel, Conversations with Friends, was also very good. Excellent. And well worth checking out. Brilliant. All right. Well, you take care. All right. And I'll you talk too. to you again. Stay safe. Take care, Geraldine. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. No agenda. Music, interviews, mostly music. Saturdays, noon until 2pm on 94.9 Main FM. Make it your soundtrack for Saturday. And that is all we have time for today on The Quiet Carriage. I've been your host, Paul J. Laverty. A big thank you to my guest today, Geraldine Hakewell, and also to Carmel Bird and the team at Northern Books for allowing us to play that episode of their, from their Books at the Brewery series. Next week, we'll have debut author Emily Paul on the line talking to us about her collection, Well-Behaved Women. Please support our sponsors, Stowman's Book Room. They're open 10 to 4 p.m. and they are waiting for your book requests. They are offering free delivery in the Castlemaine area. Just give them a call on 54705134. And also remember the Penguin Long Weekend Literary Fest that I mentioned before. Just visit the Penguin website and the Writer Go Forth Launch Promote Party. That's on Facebook. A happy and safe Easter to you all. Remember, you can listen to any episode you want of The Quiet Garage on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Pocket Casts. I'll leave you now with the track Drip Bounce by Toro Y. Moi. Until next time, keep reading. <laughs>